morning, everybody. And I love this church. I've missed you. I've been, if you're new here, I've been gone for three months on a sabbatical and talked a little bit about that last week. Um, and I just love what just took place. I love that as a body, we can come together. I love knowing some of your stories. I've wanted to stop the service multiple times. I've seen you and just hug you and say, how are you? What's been going on in your life? And hug those of you who I know stuff that's going on in your life. But I, I love, you know, walking back and forth on the bridge. And, you know, after one of the services, someone stopped me and just said, man, you have no idea what this gathering meant to me. And we were going to move to Portland. And God, we think, called us here. And we were wrestling over that decision and made the decision to stay here. And this guy's bawling. He's like, we know for sure this is good where God has us in Revit City. And another person stopped me and said, we're going into foster care. We just feel like God's leading us to take in a foster child. I'm like, I love that. I love this body. I love it so much. And I want to come to you and just talk to you about today, our future. And uh, lay out today, kind of from the Bible, uh, the underpinnings of our future. So if you're here and it's your first Sunday, you've chosen a great Sunday to be here. If you've been here a while, this will be a great reminder for what kind of church we hope to be. And I have pages full of illustrations to get into this, but I'm just going to dive in. So why don't you open your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. Uh, Brian brought you there. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible, okay? Or open your phone and um, look on that phone on your Bible. I want everyone to have that. And this is a good time for me to remind you, if you're a regular PCC, I am not going to be the Bible Nazi after saying this, but if you would bring your Bible uh, or your phone to church, and that would be huge, okay? Really, really huge, okay? If you're a regular, that'd be great. If you don't have a Bible, it would be our joy to connect you to a Bible and to understand it and help you understand how it can change your life. Okay? Are we all there? We good? Got your message notes? Okay, here we go. Uh, Travel halfway around the world with me to what's modern-day Iraq. That's where our story's taking place, where Jeremiah 29 takes place. Modern-day Iraq. Actually, just outside the city of Baghdad. That's where ancient Babylon was located. The year is 600 B.C., and we're in Babylon. It is the capital of arguably one of the most powerful kingdoms on the planet, and one of the most terrorizing kingdoms ever to be on planet Earth. You know, and today, as Brian led us in prayer through the 9-11 terror attack that took place 15 years ago, Babylon did that every day. It was just part of who they were. They subjugated, conquered, terrorized other countries all around them. And the way they would flex their muscles through terror is by employing a conquer and subjugate strategy for their enemies. If you look in your Bibles in Jeremiah 29, 1-2, you see that strategy lived out in Israel. Uh, after defeating Jerusalem, they kidnapped the professional people of Jerusalem and brought the best of Jerusalem to their country to completely strip them of their culture, of their values, of their religion, of everything they know that's Jerusalem, Jewish. They strip them of it. Now, if you are a regular here, you know that this book in the Old Testament called the book of Daniel, right? Uh, Daniel, this is exactly what happened. It took place at the same time. Daniel was one of the best of Jerusalem. He's kidnapped by Babylon, brought to Babylon. Daniel means house of God, Don El, house of God. They said, no, you're not going to be called Daniel anymore. We're going to call you Belteshazzar, which is worshiper of a demon, 
Oh, no, no, you can't have Jewish kosher food anymore. You get served the king's food, which is sacrificed to demons. They completely try to do this to eradicate the Jewish culture or any foreign culture they infiltrate. It's called the conquer and subjugate strategy, okay? So this is what's happening in our text. This is what's happening when the letter comes to um, Israel and Babylon, Jerusalem. And God says to them, because they're so bummed about this, they knew the strategy. What they try to do is sequester up on the hill and to like, like barricade themselves off from the demons of Babylon, that culture that's so evil. They intentionally live on the outskirts. And God uh, even addresses this in verse 8 and 9 because their own prophets played into this and said, oh, we'll only be here a little while. So sequester yourself. This won't be long. Soon we're going back to Jerusalem. God addresses that in verse 8 and 9 in Jeremiah 29. And he chimes in. And what can only be called a paradigm shift, God sends a letter. Brian, you did a great job with that. Through the prophet Jeremiah. And God explains what Israel's relationships to be with this great pluralistic pagan culture. When you internalize what God told them, what he's telling us, I'm telling you, church, this is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. It's what God called of his people and how they're going to relate to the city. This is why I'm laying this out. Because through the fall, I'm going to leak uh, our next decade that we see as a leadership in this community. Uh, I believe God's going to prevail this church long after I'm gone. Long after I'm gone. We are standing on the shoulders of great men and women who sacrificed and served and had a vision for what this church could be long before us. And in this next fall, we're going to lay that out for you. And then in January, you're going to lay out very specifically the first month of January. But these two tenets are pivotal to us, okay? So I just want to walk through these. Let's go to page two and let's lay this out. Here's what God says the first thing when he writes them this letter. First thing he says, yeah, you're in a pagan city. Yeah, they don't embrace your cultures. Yes, they're even evil. I'll give you that. But God says, settle there, don't sequester. Paradigm shift. Settle there, don't sequester. Look at verse 4 and 6. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. God is not telling them to marry the Babylonians. I want to be real clear there. He's saying marry amongst yourselves. They were even so committed to going back to Jerusalem, they said, we're going to stay chaste and we'll hold off on our weddings till we get back. God says, no, 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 marry here. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't, uh, don't decrease. In essence, God is saying this. Choose not to be invisible. Stop living like refugees here. Make this city your home. Now, we all talked about, given the context of how evil their surroundings were, this is a paradigm shift. He's saying, you all left a place where everyone believed like you in Jerusalem. Everyone spoke like you. Everyone shared your tradition. Everyone shared your religious convictions and your values. This place is anything like it. But I'm calling you to involve yourselves commercially, relationally, and otherwise with this city. In essence, what God is saying is, how else will the evil stop if the people of God don't infiltrate the evil as the people of God? It's just not enough to sequester yourself on a hill and point at the evil. 
I want you to engage the evil. What do we expect from people without Christ, without any moral compass? That's what God's saying. Now, what relevance does this have today on the peninsula? We've got to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, okay? In the New Testament, we are, uh, having, we are given an identity throughout the New Testament, resident alien. Did you know that? Exiles. Uh, if you're taking notes in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1, we are called all the time exiles, resident aliens. It's our identity as followers of Christ. Uh, what does that mean? Resident, alien. Resident, someone who's not a tourist. Someone who's not passing through to get on to their intended destination. Someone who stays and is at home, a resident. Someone who, as God says in Jeremiah 29, settles down. Resident alien, what's an alien? Yet someone whose values are different, who doesn't fully fit in or feel familiar with their surroundings. It's actually a legal term. The U.S. State Department calls a resident alien any alien living in the United States legally accorded the privilege to reside permanently. Resident alien. This hits home with me. This summer I was at the, actually the home in Italy my grandfather left to come to America. And for some reason it just hit me all new, the courage of my grandfather at 18 to look to his brother in the eye and say, I'm leaving. I'm leaving my homeland. I'm leaving this house. And to go broke on a ship and to come through Ellis Island and risk everything, not know the language, being sponsored by somebody, and to come across to the West. And my dad, I was just remembering starting kindergarten, not speaking a lick of English. And getting the tar beat out of him because he couldn't speak English and was the ridicule of so many people. Why? Because he was a resident alien. Things were comfortable. Things were foreign. This is home with me four years ago when our daughter came to us from the Congo. And to look at the eyes of this peninsula through her eyes. Look at the, the peninsula through her eyes. It was mind-boggling. To where when she got language, I remember we were running. I remember exactly where we were in San Carlos. We were running in a baby runner. And she said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. And she said, um, because she didn't speak any English. This is about six, eight months into her time with us. She says this in the baby runner. How come there's not more black people around here? And I just stopped and I just prayed for wisdom. I'm like, well, why do you ask? She said, well, in my village, everyone was black. Resident alien. Feeling comfortable, feeling uncomfortable. Right? We had a guest in our house uh, around the Super Bowl. He was putting on the Super Bowl breakfast, and he was in my Bible study at UCLA. Uh, great guy, African-American, and was having dinner, and JoJo was playing with them, and she starts touching his skin, and she said to him, I like your skin. <laughs> and he hugged her and said, and kissed her, which was beautiful, and Corwin said, I love your skin too. See, there's a part that should be that for all of us as followers of Christ, where we feel comfortable in a culture, but we don't feel comfortable in a culture because this isn't our home. We live in an eternal perspective from a different kingdom, right? And the values, the value system, the loves, the cultural milieu of this place will never feel at home to us. God's telling them, what do you do? I don't want you to sequester to feel comfortable. Everyone look right here. This isn't heaven. This is great. I love this. And I hope this happens more and more. I hope you make a commitment to gathering as a church where you're loved just as you are. We had a couple stand up in another service who had just lost a baby and shared their pain. 
And it wasn't like the church, how are you doing? Oh, we're great. You know, they were hurting. But they could stand up and say, we're hurting. The church came around them and the service stopped and were prayed over. I love that. But we're not to sequester. We're to infiltrate in the best way possible. Now, here's the mind-blowing part. Look at verse in Jeremiah 29. Look with me. From Israelite's perspective, Nebuchadnezzar was the one to blame for bringing them here. You see that in verse 1. Look in verse 1. Who brought them there? Nebuchadnezzar. He was the evil dictator that brought them there. But look what God says. Look what he says. He says it twice. Look at verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those. Look at this. Mind-blowing. I carried into exile. What? Look at verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. I have carried you into. Are you kidding me? God's saying, yes, no, I'm not kidding you. Yes, there were social, political forces that brought you here. But I use those forces. I have purposes that are bigger than any social, political, evil force. Ultimately, my sovereignty trumps it all. Yes, we're going to blame humans. Yes, point your finger at Nebuchadnezzar. But I'm bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. You're not here because of him. You're here because of me. That's mind-blowing when you internalize it. Okay, Gary, you just told us to look through the lens of the New Testament. Where do we see that in the New Testament? I'm so glad you asked. Acts chapter 17. I think I put it in your notes. I did. Look what it says. Acts 17. Paul is on Mars Hill, right next to the Parthenon, where the greatest of the intellects, Plato, uh, all those guys would throw their mind and their philosophy into the ring. And Paul says, the gospel will hold up to your philosophy. And so he's preaching on Mars Hill, and he says this. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands what yes another version says it this way god has appointed the times and places where people should live that means you're not here by accident oh come on gary i i'm the one that knocked the ball out in that interview don't tell me i'm not here by accident no 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 god put you here yeah you knocked the ball the interview but you're in that company because god wants you there and your kingdom value doesn't take place just on Sunday for an hour. You are worth way more than what you just gave in the offering. God wants your value to be expressed 24-7. Man, I drool when I think of where you get to go, the relationships you get to have. Because of my profession, people literally run away from me. I was walking down Jefferson the other day, literally. <laughs> There's someone that used to go to this church, and they we had a fallout with the church, and it's because of sin and stuff they saw me turned around and walked away (laughs) how'd you like that job right and i you get to work with people that i could never work with settle down there see how here's the deal here's the deal sorry i i care about this Uh, you may not have noticed but there's some building going on in Redwood city (laughs) Um, our city is growing at a pace faster than the church is growing that breaks my heart. When most churches have like flatlined or are dying or are closing their doors, thousands of people are moving to Rivet City. I just know God hasn't brought thousands of people to this city just to make money. God has brought them here for a divine appointment. And then you're going to hear in the fall, and especially in January, our plan to increase with the city and grow with the city where the city is. Because I'm just going to tell you this. Uh, this is great. God gave us 14 acres up here. It's awesome. But we're not going to grow at the city if we just stay up on the hill. 
Okay, and you do that so well. I mean, I, I was Saturday. We, we are part of this thing called, and, and my confession is I thought it was a cult before we joined it, um, A-Y-S-O. Um, man, that's the greatest ministry thing I've ever stepped into with our little daughter. Saturday I was sitting there, and on the sidelines, the commissioner of the league, refs, they're all PCCers all over the place. So I'm like, yes, I love that. It's awesome. It's awesome. Our goal is to blow life into that and put redemptive, redemptive communities throughout the city to grow with the city where the city's growing. Uh, so how we steward well the growth of the city is to go where God's sending the people, right? And the tension will be the same tension you and I live. On one hand, God calls his people to love, engage, and settle into the city. On the other hand, God says you'll do that all the while knowing, all the while knowing this is not your home. You'll never feel at home here, nor should we ever, okay? So the first thing God tells them, first tension, settle there, don't sequester. Now let me just take a moment and give you some time to think, let God speak. Where do you feel settled? When I talked about the times and places where people should live, where do you think God has put you? Just identify that. It could be your place of employment. Uh, by the way, the most abandoned mission field in America, the marketplace. It could be your neighborhood. What doesn't feel at home to you? What doesn't feel at home? Think about that. Settling means a lot of things, right? I mean, you have a Holy Spirit, and the good news is I'm not him. And so he will guide you on what to do. It's like that couple that stopped me that said, settling for us, we're taking in a foster child. We're, we're settling in. Uh, last year, I was at AYSO on the, um, uh, at Roosevelt on the practice field, and uh, I already told you that my testimony before sabbatical was I was just, I had an immorality of pace, I was just going too fast, doing too much with zero priorities and blowing through margins and loving the approval of people. Um, if you didn't get that, it's on the podcast and you can hear that sermon. And that was my case. And I'd go into the practice. Um, we're new to the AYSO world with my little JoJo. And I would just have my phone open on the sidelines and I'd be doing emails the whole time because I get way too many emails for my day. And, and so this woman would always, a soccer mom, like talk my ear off first week. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and this is a confession, confession. And second week, same thing. I'm like, and it's killing me. So the third week, here's what the godly man did. Like, I didn't see the perspective because I was going too fast. Wow, God's brought someone to me. I can actually have a conversation. She didn't know what I did. That made it safe, right? We're talking. I sat on the other end of the field and hid from her. I did exactly what they were doing in Jeremiah 29, sequestering. So I'm on my phone all of a sudden. Hey, I almost, I almost couldn't find you. Look, you're here. I'm here, you know, and I hear God say, uh, in essence, from our passage, settle down. God said, put the phone down. 
And I'm talking to her, and again, she didn't know what I did. All she knew about me is we had five daughters. She asked about JoJo, and I talked about her sisters, how many daughters do you have, five, jaw drops, you know, how many weddings do you have to have? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I get it all the time. Anyway, she, um, she's talking about the pain of a teenage daughter, and she knew I had teenage daughters. She's talking to me, and all of a sudden she looks out, and she goes, can I ask you a question? I'm like, does it matter what I say? <laughs> And so she says, uh, she, I didn't say that. She says, um, what's the meaning of life? And this is true verbatim. I go, uh, 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 I'm stumbling now. I'm like, are, are you kidding me right now? She goes, no. We got the house. My husband and I are successful at work. But I don't have a good relationship with my daughter. I was told this is what would satisfy I'm not satisfied. You got five daughters. What's the meaning of it all? And then I ask, do you know what I do? And she goes, no, you must work in the valley. What do you do? And I go, actually, I work right up there. I'm a pastor of Peninsula Covenant Church. See, God appointed the times and places where people should live. God set that whole thing up. And when Jojo was being drafted in this, I don't even know how it happens with AYSO, God said, oh no, here's a woman that's searching. And she's, it's a perfect divine appointment with Gary. Let me put her on the team, her daughter with Jojo, and let's set up the uh, system of everything. And bam, it happens. Do you think God does that once in a while or just the pastors? Mm-mm. Let me tell you something. Your life would increase exponentially. Your expectation would increase unbelievably if when you pulled into your neighborhood or when you opened up the door to your apartment complex or when you came to your place of employment, your mindset was, wow, God's ahead of me. I'm going to settle in and let God take care of the results and see what happens. Your kingdom worth doesn't just happen for an hour on Sunday. You're worth way more than that. Uh, and we will equip you in the coming years to understand that. Amen? Okay, second thing he says, page three here of your notes, really important. Sacrificially love there, don't be selfish. Sacrificially love there, don't be selfish. Verse seven, now this is mind-blowing. If you thought it was mind-blowing before, here it comes. Hold on, everybody. Also, verse seven, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. There it is, in exile. You're not where you are because you're all that. God was a step ahead of you. Uh, pray to the Lord for it, which we did. Brian, great job today in church. Great job. Because it's if it prospers, you prosper. Tim Keller, in a book I read this summer, uh, excellent book. It, it's really hard to get through it, you know, four or five hundred pages, but an excellent book called Center Church. talks about four kinds of people who live in cities, and you can read those there. I don't have time to go through with them. But what he says is we don't need just those, commuters, survivors, consumers, or natives. We need a fifth category. We need people who love the city. We need people who take ownership of the city, the unofficial mayors who care about their blocks, their schools, the social arrangements, the justice of the city, who abandon, don't miss this, ulterior motives in exchange for the ultimate motive, the peace and prosperity of the city. This church is made up of them. I'm looking at them. You do that. You're the unofficial mayors. I could take the rest of my time telling stories. But where do we get this from? Verse 7. It's the most shocking part of the passage. Peace and prosperity. I want to teach you a Hebrew word. You want to learn Hebrew this morning? Come on. Are you awake? Okay. Are you ready? Shalom. <laughs> Come on, say that to me. 
turn to someone and just give them a blessing right now and say shalom. That felt good, didn't it? Guess I just felt the temperature rise in here. It's awesome. Shalom is one of the hardest words in Hebrew to translate for the uh, Bible translators. And so they use two words to try to capture it. And even then it doesn't. Peace and prosperity. Let me give you the definition. I'll try my attempt to socially, psychologically, economically, spiritually flourish. Now I'll say it again. To socially, psychologically, economically, spiritually flourish. To have wholeness and health in every way. And here's what God's saying to them. Don't seek the peace and prosperity of the Jewish community only. Here's what he's saying to us. Don't seek the peace and prosperity of the church only. This is radical. These were their enemies. They terrorized. They killed. They maimed. They ridiculed. They shamed. And God says, seek their peace and prosperity. You know what's behind that? The heart of God that says, how else are they going to change? Do you know what the Bible actually says? God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Whenever an evil man or an evil woman dies, do you think God goes, yes, no. He knows that they die apart from Christ. That's his image bearer that will never spend eternity with him. He takes no delight in that. And so he says, seek their peace and prosperity. How else will they change? Now, here's what's radical. Uh, Janet, in this summer, preached through Psalm 122, which were a great passage where God called Israel to do this for Jerusalem. I actually put it in your notes. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? To seek the peace and prosperity and to pray for them. And then it says this. Uh, may those who love you be secure. Here's what God knew. You can't pray for someone and ultimately not love them. You can't pray for them regularly and stay unaffected. Whenever someone has a counseling time with me uh, and they say, I'm having some trouble, I have a bitterness issue, I'll always try to get them either referred to somebody, get them tools uh, to get over bitterness. But I will always say this, have you prayed for them? Why would I want to do that? That's a great question. Let's talk that through. Ultimately, what happens most of the time, I've known in my life, when I'm praying for people that I'm bitter towards, my heart changes towards them because God gives me his heart towards them. You can't be bitter when you continue to pray for people. So God's saying, you can't pray for Babylon unless you love it. I want you to live in this city and love this city and make it a great place to live for you and your enemies. For people who don't believe like you, who don't live according to your values, who in many cases even oppose you, work and make this a great city for them and for you. You need to know that not every church holds to this. Uh, And if this rubs you as wrong and you think, gosh, I want to be against culture, I want to to stay away from that big bad world, Uh, we want to be against evil. But the only way to change the evil around here, we're not going to point a finger. We're going to light a candle. And we're going to light the darkness and live in the darkness and take our hits. We're going to take our hits for our convictions. We're going to hold them graciously and humbly and continue to love and serve this city. Oh, men and women, do you love your city? Like, really, do you love your city? Okay, i got to land this plane. What was true for Israel living in Babylon 600 B.C. is true for us on the peninsula in 2016. Here's the call in case you missed it. To incarnate ourselves in homes, in neighborhoods, in places of employment. 
to sacrificially give ourselves for the benefit of our neighbors, to live and pray and seek the shalom of these places, and to dialogue with our city about Jesus and the gospel, but to love people regardless of their response. Now, does that sound like anyone else we know? I'll give you a hint. His name rhymes with treasus. <laughs> Did not Jesus do this? Did he not incarnate himself into our neighborhood called planet Earth? Did he not sacrificially give himself, not just for the benefit of the good church people, as a matter of fact, his harshest words were towards church people, but for the benefit of the world, even his enemies? Did he not live and pray and seek the shalom of those places, even begging his father to forgive the people who killed him? Did he not dialogue with the city about the gospel and the consequences of choosing to walk away from him? Is this not what happened to Jesus? I can imagine he was in heaven. He moves into our neighborhood. Talk about a resident alien. Doesn't get more resident alien than Jesus, right? He came and sacrificially poured himself out for enemies. And can I remind us all, Every single one of us was an enemy of God at one time. None of us were born Christians. We all at one time were opposed to God. God spoke to his son in heaven and said this, Son, you're going to have to move into that neighborhood called planet Earth. It's going to be foreign to you. But they'll only experience shalom if you die. I believe with all my heart this next statement. Redwood City, this peninsula, will be at its best when the church is at its best. We're endeavoring for the next decade, specifically this fall, and I'll tell you about it in January, how to be at our best, to deploy the greatest resource this church has. It's you, our human resources, and to so disciple you and grow you in Christ that you can't help but ooze out the fragrance of the knowledge of him. we got this thing coming in the next 10 weeks called Rooted. And here's why I need you to commit for the next 10 weeks to gathering like this. There's nothing like gathering like this. If you can't make it for the next 10, uh, a week or two, if you travel, I get that grace to you. We have this thing called a podcast. Uh, you can get it, the sermons. I don't want you to miss a week. We're going to help you understand God's heart we're going to help you understand the purpose of the church, but we're going to make it very individual and help you understand your purpose, the reason you still have breath in life, and how to live into that purpose. I'm telling you, it will, it will be a game changer. I really just believe that. And so I want to encourage you uh, to make a commitment for the next 10 weeks. I want to encourage you to sit in this and sit in these two axioms, these two statements that cause attention. What does it mean to settle and not sequester? What does it mean to sacrificially love and not be selfish? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we get to worship you and speak your goodness uh, through song and to each other. And then we get to pray together and intercede. God, I don't think anyone here would say we hate the city. I just pray that we would never be afraid of it. That we would really believe that your sovereignty is a step ahead of us and surrounds us. And that our kingdom value is so much more than an hour on Sunday. But that the 24-7, when we're in our neighborhoods, when we're on the soccer fields of AYSO, when we're in our schools, 
when we're host or hostessing at our restaurants, when we're opening up our place of employment, that matters to you. And that's just as much worship as right now. I can't wait to discover the tools to see you be a game changer in those areas. We don't want a great church alone. We want a great church that joins you in making Revit City the best place it could be. So we do pray for the shalom of this city. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.